You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. Right now, I'm starting a brand new series entitled The Call. And this basically is based out of Mark chapter 1, verse 17. And it says there, And Jesus said unto them, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Basically, the theme of this series is on discipleship. And like what Larry said here, Victory Church of the Bay Area exists for two reasons. We are here to honor God in everything that we say, think, and do as individuals. And as a church, we're here to honor God by obeying his, his uh, commission to us as a church in making disciples. And so that's the business of the church. Um, we are not here to build a church. That's Jesus' job. This is Jesus' church, and it is his job and his responsibility to build the church. Our responsibility is to make disciples, to be disciples and to make disciples. And so for the next four Sundays, we're going to be talking about discipleship. And here we're going to learn that discipleship is not a complex process. It's not a complicated thing. A lot of times people, when they think of discipleship, they think of adhering to a set of rules and a set of complicated ways for you to, to be a disciple. But really, discipleship is simple, and we are committed to making discipleship, as the Bible teaches, simple and duplicable, that we be able to replicate it. Over the last 2,000 years since Jesus resurrected and gave the command to make disciples, the church has been making disciples. And so... Uh, that's a testament to the fact that discipleship is not complex. It is simple and that we can replicate this process. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at that. Discipleship is simple. Next is that discipleship is a call to a relationship. So uh, you've heard it in, in our church in Victory. Discipleship is relationship. And that's what it is. Discipleship is actually a call to a relationship in three levels. And we're gonna, let's look at the overview for the next uh, four Sundays. So here, we're going to look at the reality that, first and foremost, discipleship is a call of Jesus to us, not just here in the church, but to everyone. It's a call of Jesus to follow him, okay, to have a relationship with him and to follow him for the rest of their lives. It's not just following him once a week or uh, when they feel like it, it's a call to follow him every day of their lives, okay? And um, it's also a call to reach out to the lost, basically building relationship with lost people, those who do not know Jesus. See, the church um, many times have uh, secluded themselves from the world because they don't want to be, quote, unquote, polluted by the world, but it is the world actually that needs the message, the transforming message of the gospel, and they're the, ones, they're the ones who desperately need the message of God's love by what Jesus Christ has done. So we have that message, and we are called to develop that relationship with lost people so that we can share the gospel and that they can have the chance to hear the gospel and respond to it, okay? Our job is not to change people. Only God can change people. Our job is to present the gospel so that they can hear it and through that, they can hear God speak to them, and they can respond to God. And so when they do respond to God, God can change them, okay? So our job is to proclaim the gospel. Also, 
Discipleship is a call to develop relationships with fellow believers. That's why the church is important. You see, if you're a follower of Christ, you can't be on your own. Okay, we are creatures of relationships, and, and our lives are enhanced or are wrecked by the relationships that we have. And, and Jesus wants us to continuously grow in our relationship with him. And part of helping us grow in our relationship with him is to have healthy relationships with people who are growing in him as well. Because these are people who can help us build a relationship with God, and they can inspire us, they can encourage us, they can pray with us, they can stand with us, and, and you know, they can, they can challenge us, they can uh, push us when we're slacking down. These are people who can help us develop in our relationship with Jesus. And lastly, on the last week, we're going to look at the call to make disciples. Basically, on the fourth week, last Sunday of March, we're going to talk about how we make disciples here in the church. That fourth week will be a very practical message, okay? We're going to look at the discipleship process of victory and uh, how we can practically apply those principles and the process so that we can obey the command to go and make disciples. So today, we're going to talk about the call of Jesus to all of us to follow him, okay? So there is a call to each of us, not just here in this room. Jesus is calling everybody in the world past, present, and future, to follow him, okay? There are many voices. There are many people. There are many ideologies. There are m many competing philosophies and even um, religious leaders who are calling everybody to follow them. But there's only one person. There's only one truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Okay, if you believe that all religions will lead to heaven, will lead to God. That is not real. That is not true. That is figment of the imagination drawn up by a humanistic mind. Okay, a mind that is filled with humanistic philosophy. Jesus said there's only one way, and he is the way. Okay? And he's calling us to have a relationship with him to be his disciples. So let's all stand up right now, and let's read our main text for this morning. This is found in Luke chapter 9. Okay, we're going to read from verses 23 through verse 27, oh, 26, sorry. Okay, if you open your Bibles. All right. And after he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is eternal. Your word can transform our lives. And Lord, we thank you that your written word became alive and he is the living word, Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we, Lord, uh, center our lives on Jesus. May we have Jesus as his center. And Lord, may we, as we sang this morning, may we always run into your arms. May we always find the best place on earth to be in your embrace, following you all the days of our lives. And, Lord, we thank you that you've given us the privilege to know you, to have a relationship with you. 
And we thank you for this wonderful privilege. And we commit this preaching of the word to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're talking about discipleship. And I'd like to ask this question, what's the goal of discipleship? Okay, so when we make disciples, a lot of people go to church and um, you hear preachers or you hear uh, spoken in the church that we are to follow Jesus. But there are different notions of people when it comes to following Christ. I just bought a book by David Platt, a new book written by David Platt called Follow Me. In incidentally, it's very, it's related to what we're talking about here. And in that book, he basically says that a lot of people are confused as to what being a follower of Christ means. And he asks the question, is it possible for people to believe in Jesus and not be born again? Is it possible for people to say that they've accepted Christ and yet they live their lives uh, and they're not Christians? And his, what, he, what he says in that book is that it is possible because people are confused as to what following Jesus means. Following Jesus can mean one thing to a person and it can mean a totally different thing to another. That's why we have people who think that they can live their lives according to what they want and still think that them and Jesus are like this. You know, we're, we're like this. You know, we have an arrangement. We've negotiated that, you know, every Sunday I attend church faithfully and then uh, I can live my life how I want to the rest of the week. But I'm faithful to be in the church. And they're faithful in the church every Sunday. They're there. Okay, so, and people have that notion that that's, what following Jesus means. A lot of people think that following Jesus is just simply attending church. As long as you clock in, you're okay. Now, a lot of people think also when it comes to discipleship, there are conflicting notions about discipleship as well. Is the goal of discipleship to have a better life, to be a better Christian? How many of you could say that, you know, I could sure would benefit from being a better Christian? Right? <laughs> But is that the goal of discipleship, for you to become a better Christian? Is that the goal? Is the goal of discipleship for you to be blessed and to live your dreams? A lot of people think so in this culture. David Platt in his book said that the Western culture has drawn out the lifeblood of Christianity so that it has made Christianity so palatable that it is not real anymore. That they think that Christianity is all about being prospered by God. It's all about the wealth. And that's why you see here today, especially on TV, when you talk about Christianity, it's synonymous to prosperity. And that is so far from what the Bible teaches. You know, uh, God is not against us having prosperity but prosperity is never the goal. So what is the goal of discipleship? Before we answer that, for us to understand the goal of discipleship, we need to understand the conditions for discipleship. And Jesus, in the, in the passage we read, laid out the conditions for discipleship. Okay, there are three conditions of discipleship. Let's go to Luke 9, verse 23. The first verse we read this morning. And he... And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, 
let him deny himself. In this verse, we will find the three conditions. Let him deny himself. Now, when you talk about denying himself, does that mean that you refuse your existence? That I don't exist. That's not how it is. Okay? When you say deny yourself, that runs diametrically opposed to what the world thinks. Because the world tells you, you know, to realize yourself. Realize your fullest potential. Be all that you can be. In psychology, there is a term called self-actualization that different psychologists define differently as well. So even among the experts in psychology, they differ in how they understand the term self-actualization. And in, in self-actualization, it's basically learning who you are, knowing who you are, embracing who you are, and giving yourself, finding your fullest potential and going for it. But there's one problem with that thing. Self-actualization will never happen outside of the definition of God for you because he's the one who created you. He's the one who designed you. Problem is, a lot of people today try to find themselves apart from God. They try to find themselves in themselves. So when you become the standard, look at the person next to you, look at the other person, look at the people around you. How many people do we have here in this room? As many people we have in this room, that's how many definitions of life there is. If you just look at yourself. Does that make sense? And this world tells you, be yourself. Now, and when Jesus says, deny yourself, what in the world are you talking about? I mean, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't compute. It doesn't compute in the minds of people who don't know God because for them, when you talk about self, it's the life they've known. There's no other life there is. It's all the life they've known. And here, the self that Jesus is talking about, it's the life that is centered on self. You are the center of the universe. You are the center of life. Everything revolves around you. It's all about you. It's all about me. It's what I want. It's what I think. It's my way. I did it my way. It's about your way. It's how I want to do things. It's how I want to live my life. Nobody tells me what to do. If that's what you subscribe to, that just goes to show that the philosophy of life that you've embraced is one that is selfish. And what people don't realize, the self that they're defending and they're embracing is the life that is marred by sin and influenced by sin. And because they don't know that, it is, that they need to be saved from sin, they think that's the only life there is, they make the most out of it, and they try to define life within the context. It's so myopic, myopic you can't see beyond. And here Jesus is presenting to everybody, there is another way of life. Jesus, the creator, he is the creator, and the one who is the truth is telling you the life that you know 
is not the life I designed for you. That is the life that you have defined for yourself as a result of sin. And sin basically makes people focus on themselves. It makes you selfish. And when Jesus said, let him deny himself, that means we are to turn away from everything that we define as life in sin. Does this make sense? A lot of people don't realize that. But when you see, when you listen to the creator, your creator, and the one who designed you, tell you that's not how you're supposed to live. I made you for a reason. But sin has marred your life. That's why I came down as a man. I took the penalty of your sin, and I died your death because the soul who sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. And all of us have sinned. We all deserve to die and to pay for our sins for all eternity. But Jesus said, I love you so much. I didn't create you just to throw you to hell. I created you so that you can live the life I've designed for you. And your creator is telling you and I, there is a real life that I want you to have. And it's not the life that you have defined. The American dream is that the life Jesus defined. Sadly, that's what a lot of people, and even Christians here in this, in this part of the world, are pursuing. When Jesus says, follow me, deny yourself, that's what it is. Jesus even used another metaphor a few chapters later in illustrating this point. He said in Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Strong words. Harsh, isn't it? Are you gonna, are you, is Jesus telling me that I should hate my, my family? We need to understand the context of what he said here. When he said this, he was saying this in the context of following him. That as you follow him, the loyalties, you know, between following him and your relational affiliation with your family and your loyalty to them, when you compare the two, it's so grand, it's so, the difference is so great that it looks like, and again, it's a metaphor that he used, it looks like you hate them, that your commitment to them is like hating them. And here it says even your own life. Now, Jesus is not talking about you being depressed and saying, I hate my life. You know, I, I just hate it. I hate my life. I wish I, had no, I wish I could be you. That's not what we're talking about here. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? In comparison to your affinity to Jesus, all other relationships pale in comparison and they look like you hate them. In other words, no other relationships and no other things should compete with your relationship with God. It shouldn't compete. When the police goes to your home and tells you we have a search warrant and uh, we're going to look in your house for, for this kind of thing, and you go, okay, you can search everything in the house except for the basement. Don't go to the basement. Guess where the police will go first? Yeah, when they enter, it's the living room, right? <laughs> but where will they head first deliberately? They will go to the basement where you said don't go. Why? And many times we're like that. Jesus, 
You can have control of my life, except for this part. I've defined this part. I've worked so hard for this part. Man, blood, sweat, and tears. This is mine. You can't take it. Guess what? What will Jesus do? He will not be interested in the rest of your life. He will be interested in the one that is competing against him. To deny self is to deny self-will. Now, does that mean Jesus wants us to be robots? No. He's not telling us to, to be like automatons and go, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. It's not like that. <laughs> a lot of people think it's like that. I don't, what they don't want, the reason why a lot of people don't want to follow Jesus is because they don't want to relinquish control of their lives. They want to have a say in how they are to live their lives. Basically, what people want is they want to be their own God. They want to define their lives. But we were not designed to be that way. That's why we do a bad job at it. That's why we mess our lives so bad when we try to take the place of God and be God in our lives. I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to touch this, Lord. Oh, you, you can't tell God <laughs> what to do. Deny self is to deny your self-will. It's to deny your self-fulfillment. Whatever makes you happy, pursue it. Happiness is never the goal of life. Happiness is a result of you pursuing the right thing. It's the result, but never the goal. It's one of the many results, but it's never the goal. Happiness is never the goal. To deny self is to deny your own way. To deny what you think is right. Basically, when, you s when Jesus say, follow me, He's saying, okay, will you lay down everything that revolves around you? Will you deny all those things and let me define you? Let me define your life. To deny self is to deny your selfish emotions. Lord, I want that. I want that now. And he doesn't give it to you? <laughs> I'm not going to attend church three months until you give it to me. You're like a brat when you do that. To deny self is to deny your selfish aspirations. You know what my, my desire was when before I met Christ? I wanted to be one of the, I, I wanted to be a filthy rich businessman. I mean, filthy rich. I mean, all the trappings of all the rich people. Designer everything. Own choppers, own jets. Buildings all over the place. That was my desire. And then Jesus told me, deny yourself. You want to follow me? Deny it. Because my desire, if it's competing with his desire, and if he is my Lord and I'm a disciple, I need to let that die. Okay? Deny yourself. So Jesus basically wants... He doesn't want us to have no desire, no feelings, no emotions, no will. He wants us to submit everything about self, all the selfish aspects of our self-life to him. Surrender everything to him so that he can purify those things, so that he can sanctify those things, so that we can have his desires, we can have righteous desires, we can have righteous aspirations.
we can have righteous emotions. We can have, you know, a righteous perspective of life. We can live our lives according to his way. He wants to redeem every aspect of life tainted by self. You will never find who you really are outside of God. And those who try to define themselves outside of God, that's why they may put a label, they may put a definition of their life, but inside they know that's not what life is about, deep down. Jesus is the best example of denying self. The Garden of Gethsemane, before he was betrayed and before his crucifixion, he was praying to the Father, and he was so filled with anguish and so stressed out that the Bible says that he began to sweat profusely and, and blood began to come out of his pores. That's how intense the stress was. And here's what he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, nevertheless. See, he was being honest with his emotions because he was a man. He was God, but he also became man. And becoming a man, he experienced human emotions. But here's what he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, this situation is so hard. I can't take it anymore. But Lord, not my will, but your will be done. If it's up to me, I would get out of the situation. But Lord, it's not up to me, it's up to you. So Lord, if you want me out of the situation, you will do a way. You will make a way for me to get out of the situation. But if it's your will for me to stay in the situation, then, Lord, give me the strength. Give me the strength to endure. That is a mark of a person who's denied himself. He surrenders to the will of Christ for his life. Not his will, but Christ's will. Paul understood this. He understood what Jesus said. The Apostle Paul understood this. And in Philippians 3, he said this. Remember, he said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a, as far as righteousness is concerned, I'm a Pharisee. You know, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. I'm, I've di- I'm, I'm this, I'm that. I'm, he was, if I could boast, he said, if I could boast, if people think they could boast, I can boast more. I have more to boast about. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Jew. He said, I'm a Jew. As far as race is concerned, those people, I am a Jew, 100% Jew. And I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, and I'm that. And here's what he said. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever defined me before, all the trappings of the world, what the world says, what life is supposed to be, I consider them loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, look, count them as rubbish. Another translation says garbage or dung. I count them all rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that I have defined, no. But that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith, through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God. The second condition for discipleship is for us to take up our cross. Now, as we look at this, we read this, we understand that when Jesus said this, 
we all know that he died on the cross, right? Right? Now put yourselves in the context of Jesus' audience when Jesus said this. Imagine you were Jesus' audience when he said this. He hasn't gone through the cross yet at the time, right? So they couldn't connect Jesus and the cross the way we can connect Jesus and the cross today. To his original audience, when Jesus said, take up your cross, to them, here's what it is. The cross during their time was a symbol of death because if you are crucified, that crucifixion is a Roman form of execution of criminals. So when people see, when you're seen carrying a cross or, or the pole that will be hung on that cross where you'll be crucified, people know that you're on a one-way journey towards your death. No turning back. You're going to die. So imagine yourselves, not as today, but as Jesus' audience at the time when he said this. If you want to follow me, anyone, anyone would come after me. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Deny myself. Take up the cross. You want me to die? You see, what Jesus is talking about here, to follow him means nothing less than total commitment to him. And if need be, total commitment even unto death. Count the cost, people. You want to be his disciple? You see, Jesus never asks you to do something he has never done. He asked us to take up our cross. Why? Because that's what he came to do. He took up his cross for us. He died our death. He lived the life that we should have lived. And he died the death we should have died. He was that committed to you and I. He was totally committed. I think it's worth saying that our all, giving Jesus our all, is fair. Today, we've defined following Jesus, ah, you know, we've made an arrangement. We don't really want to die. We follow Jesus when it feels good, but when life shakes you a bit with, with challenges and circumstances and, and problems and adversities, you forget Jesus. And many times, for some people, it's the other way around. They forget about Jesus during the, the good times. They party. They do whatever they want. But when there's bad times, Jesus, please help me. And when Jesus helps them, okay, thank you. Till next crisis. Come on, buddy. Here we go again. Follow, to, to follow Christ, to become his disciple, it requires total commitment. Let's look at another way Jesus put this. Luke 14, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Pastor Neil, this is a morbid message. <laughs> I mean, who can take this? You know why this is the cost of discipleship is high? Because what is at stake is great. What is at stake is the eternal destination of your soul. This is not just a patty cake thing. We are in deep trouble. And it requires a, a radical commitment to Christ, our Savior. Another way Jesus said it. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And it's interesting when you're talking about taking up the cross, you are to take up the cross daily. 
this tells you a continual commitment to Christ, that your commitment is not just, you know, a seasonal thing. It's supposed to be a daily thing, okay? Take up your cross, being committed. Paul also understood this. He said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. It's no longer my self-life. It's Christ's life in me. So I don't live for me anymore. I live for Christ. That's what Paul is saying there. The third condition for discipleship is, is to follow Jesus. You see, we have to deny ourselves, take up his cross, take up our crosses daily. Be means total commitment. And we are to follow him. What does that mean? The word follow, it assumes that someone is moving towards a certain direction. And to follow means to go behind that person who is leading you. Okay? To follow means you have someone in front of you leading the way. Right? When you say, I'm a follower of Christ, that means he is leading your way. He's leading your life. You can't say you're a follower of Christ and you're leading your life. It means putting Jesus first. And the word disciple in the Greek is mathetis. That is the Greek term where we derive the word mathematics, okay? And the word mathetis means learner or to be a disciplined learner. And to be a disciple of Christ, that means you follow him and continuously learn from him how life should be, what you should do in life. In this situation, okay, this is what I would do. What, what would Jesus do? How would he respond in this situation? This is how I would respond. I would react. But here's what Jesus would do. Let me learn that. Let me apply that. Lord, please teach me that. A disciple is one who says, Lord, teach me to be like you. And you see, disciples, you know, uh, follow not just the teachings, but they also follow the way of life of those they followed. Okay? And when you talk about following Jesus, that means obeying everything he says. John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, in other words, in my teaching, you are truly, truly my disciples. You can't just be disciples by name, by lip service. Oh, I attend victory. Not everybody who attends church is a follower of Christ. Huh? Look at the person next to you. Don't ever deceive yourself into thinking that because you attend Victory or any other church that you follow Christ. A lot of people think that they're Christians because they're in church. But what really is happening is that most people, a lot of people are not converted to Christ. They're converted to the church community. They love the church so much, that's why they're here. But they don't have a relationship with Jesus personally. But they love the church. They're committed to the church. And that's good. But it doesn't end there. Jesus doesn't want you just committed to be converted to church. He wants you to be converted to him. Church affiliation is not the thing that will save you. Now, Jesus 
said this. He actually magnified it in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And listen, look, look at what he said next. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Make disciples, and those, as you make disciples for Christ, not your disciples, disciples of Christ, as you make disciples of Christ, you, part of it is teaching them to obey everything Jesus commands. That's why we teach people to read the Bible, so that they can obey what Jesus says. Okay? So, to summarize, the three conditions of discipleship are to deny self, everything that is centered on you, you see? To live the real life, life is not all about you. If you are defining your life apart from Christ, then you're not really living at all. William Wallace in the movie Braveheart said this, All men die, but not all men really live. A lot of us are just merely existing, defining our lives. When we define our lives apart from Christ, we're just merely existing. And we will, we will just live our lives according to whatever definition we can find. But there's no standard. But if we live our lives according to Christ, we are really, really living. So what are the implications of rejecting Jesus? Let's look at it from the next few verses. Luke 9.24 says, Therefore, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, remember, the context here is Jesus calling people to follow him, to be his disciples, to deny themselves, take up the cross, and to obey him, to follow him. And he says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will save it. Let's dissect this verse a bit. First, if, do you notice there? Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever would loses his life will save it. Paradox, right? Uh, look at this one. Whoever would save his life, that means if you try, if you fail to deny yourself, if you fail to deny yourself, this will be the outcome. You will lose your life. And what is that outcome? In other words, you will suffer eternal judgment. We'll, talk, we'll touch on that in a bit. Why eternal judgment? We're just talking about this life, right? No. The implication of rejecting Christ's call is eternal. It's not just in this life. It's eternal. We're going to see later. But whoever loses his life or whoever denies himself for the sake, for my sake, if we deny our lives for Christ's sake, here's the outcome. We will save it or we will receive eternal life. One kind of saving will lead to eternal judgment, but one kind of denying will lead to eternal life. And look at this one, next one, nine, Luke 9.25. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You see, denying Christ, you know, the law, let me, let me put it this way. The loss of your soul is too great a price to pay to possess the world. You may have everything, but in the end, you will have nothing. 
the loss of your soul. That is what is at stake, my friends. Your soul. That's why following Jesus or not following him will have eternal ramifications. And denying Christ is too much a price to pay. Are you really willing to pay that price? Do you really understand what it means? Why do we say that it, there is eternal ramification here? Jesus said, again, in the context of calling people to follow him, Jesus said, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this life, because Christians are ridiculed today. Followers of Christ are ridiculed. They're mocked. It doesn't matter what the world says. It, what matters is what God says, what God thinks. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man, Jesus, who's referring to himself now as the glorified Christ who will come back. Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. When, when everything is revealed, when uh, everything is revealed and it's, it's the end of all days and it's the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment day and Jesus is revealed in all his glory and the Father is all his, all his glory and everybody sees for the first time the glory of Jesus and who he is and you've been ashamed of him. And to your shock, you will see that he is. The one whom, you, whom you've been ashamed of is the one true judge for all eternity. That is scary, isn't it? Uh, if you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you before my father. Too much a price. Either you deny yourself or you deny Christ. So my point today, the call to follow Jesus is both a call to die and a call to live. It is a call to die to the life that you have defined, the life that is centered on you. Die to that and be totally committed to Jesus. You cannot live the life he wants you to have unless you die to yourself. Everything about you. Because the real definition of who you are is not in your definition. The real you is in the definition of the one who made you. It's a call to die to what you think, what you, what you believe in. It's a call to die to yourself, to your counterfeit self, so to speak, so that you can live in the true self, in the real you. And in between that, Jesus calling you, calling you and I to totally abandon your self-life so that you can live his life. We asked this question as we began, what is the goal of discipleship? The goal of discipleship is not for you to be blessed more, for you to live your dream, the goal of discipleship is not for you to become a better Christian. The goal of discipleship is found here. Ephesians 4, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Created after the likeness of God. And you know who is the image, the exact representation of God that we can understand and be like? The Bible says in Hebrews, He is Jesus Christ. The goal of discipleship is to be Christ-like, to be like Jesus. That when you follow him, you become more like him in his character. So that the more you follow him, the more you give your life totally to his purpose. You, you are transformed more and more into his image. That when people see you, they see more and more of Jesus Christ in you. And that is what the world needs. The world is steeped in sin and it is deceived and it needs beacons of hope. And Jesus is using his people, his disciples, to be his beacon of hope as his light shines through them. Disciples of Jesus reveal the reality of Jesus Christ to the world. Amen. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another and if our, his love is in us. Let's all stand as we end. See, we are to follow Christ in a relationship. We are to die to our self-life so that we could reflect into the world. Jesus is calling you and I to follow him and to be his disciples. Will you answer his call? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I pray for your people here this morning that, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we would see that many of the pursuits in life, that and many of these things that we pursue actually compete with you in our hearts. Whatever it may be, Lord, we pray that you would also open our eyes that the reality that we will never discover who we really are outside of you, outside of our relationship with you. We can try to define our lives and try to appease our, our everything, our, our, ourselves with that definition, but deep down inside of us, we know that our own definition of life is not really what real life is all about. For some, it's hard to accept. And because it's so hard to accept and hard to change, we just ignore it and choose to remain to be in deception because we, so that we can feel good. But Lord, open our eyes as well to the eternal ramifications of denying you. Lord, either we deny you and suffer eternal judgment, or we deny ourselves and receive eternal life. There really is no other choice. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to how great the stakes are. And it's not, Lord, it's, it's too, too great of a price for us to pay, Lord, to deny you so that we can possess the world. Lord, it's not worth it. So, Lord, help us, reveal to us, Lord, Help us to see that real life 
and the real definition of our lives and our true selves are only found in you as we follow you and as we live to, to be your disciples. So today, those of us who are, who are disciples, Lord, help us to become more like you. But those of us who have deceived ourselves in thinking we are disciples but we're not, Lord, remove the blinders from our eyes and help us to, to respond. Lord, the first step to victory is admitting that we've missed it. Lord, that we're just here because of religion or we're just here because of the relationships in the church or we're just here because we feel guilty and going to church makes us feel better. Lord, there's more. You've called us to more, to so much more than just those things. You've called us to a dynamic relationship with you. So, Lord, if there are people here who have not really given themselves to you, that they've allowed, their lives are still defined by themselves. Lord, they, it's based on their definition of even how to be a Christian, they've defined it. Lord, I pray that they would repent of that and turn away from that, deny themselves of that, and turn to you. I'd like to give an opportunity for those who would like to say, Pastor Neil, I want to give my life, abandon my life totally to follow Jesus Christ. I'm willing to deny myself. I'm willing to take up my cross. And I'm willing to follow him. I'm willing to have Jesus define who I am. And that mean, if that means letting go, we sang that earlier, of all things we let go. We let go of myself. I let go of my self-life so that I can have Jesus' life. If that's you, would you lift up your hands? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, you see these hands. Even their brand of Christianity, they've defined it. But Lord, as they repent, Lord, define it for them. And they will find that definition as they pursue you. Lord, these people who are raising up their hands, they're willing to repent. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I repent of my self-life. I repent of defining my life, even defining my Christianity. Or even if, if I'm not a Christian, I'm, I repent of defining my life according to how I want it. Lord, that's not what you want from me. You have greater things for me. So, Lord, I turn away from those things. I repent and I renounce self-life so that I can have real life. I put my faith in you and I commit to follow you, to take up your, the cross that you place upon me, to share in your suffering so that we share in your glory. Lord, today, we put our faith in you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving our sins and thank you for cleansing us. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.